0: I'm going to ask you to get your Bibles. Going over to Exodus chapter 12, if you are not already there. Exodus chapter 12. Seems like it's been forever since we've been in here, doesn't it? Uh, on, in Exodus, um, it hasn't been that long, but it just seems like it has. And uh, we are—we've uh, covered all of the plagues so far, except for the last one, and, uh, and that's what, what we are going to be looking at tonight, of course. Exodus chapter 12, and I want us to just go ahead and um, and read the first two verses there and, and allow those to serve as an introduction to what we're looking at tonight. Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. This was time for a, a new beginning, a uh, a new era for the nation of Israel. And so he told them that this was the going to be the first day, the first month of a, of a new year. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we do thank you for your blessings. We thank you for your word. And uh, we ask that you would just guide and direct as we look in your word this evening. Uh, Lord, just impress upon us your truths and uh, show us what you would have us to know from these verses tonight. I thank you, God, so much for everything that you've done um, I thank you for the blessings. Thank you for uh, just the, uh, the truths that we're going to be able to get from your word this evening. Lord, for the way that you've worked in my life uh, over the past week. And I'd ask that you forgive my failures. But Lord, strengthen me for tomorrow. Help me to be the man that you'd have me to be. I pray for each person that's here tonight as well. You know each life. You know, you know each struggle, each need. God, I pray that you would just uh, work in each life, draw all of us closer to you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, in this chapter, um, we arrive at the final plague upon Egypt. And this plague is going to be unlike any of the rest of the plagues that we have looked at so far. The damage caused by this plague will not only cause discomfort, uh, but terror in the heart of all the Egyptians. God will not just take away their water, their livestock, their food, or comforts, but he will attack their firstborn. As we look back through all the other plagues that that we have, uh, that has been mentioned or that we've studied through, uh, each one of those, some of those were just uncomfortable. Uh, I guess uncomfortable is kind of a weak word to describe what some of those were, but uh, such as frogs. I mean, miserable, I guess we could say that. That would have been a miserable issue. Uh, The flies, no doubt, would have been miserable. And then uh, he also attacked their water source and their food sources and their economy and and uh so there there were there was a lot of distress that was going on in the in the land so far but it was all building up to something it was all building up to something that God had already said was going to happen now we have been looking uh, over all those weeks that we looked at the plagues we were looking at the reason why God prolonged all this and why he allowed these things to to continue going on why he kept hardening Pharaoh's heart and why he kept sending the plagues, but it was all ultimately building up to this very last plague that God was going to send upon them. Now, this was not a surprise ending. God had said from the beginning that it was all building up to this. Egypt had taken his firstborn, and the Lord would also take theirs. I'd ask that you just hold your place. Turn back with me to Exodus chapter 4, and verses 21-23. to 23. Exodus chapter 4, verses 21 through 23. It says, the Lord uh, said unto Moses, When thou goest to return into, to Egypt, see that thou do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in thine hand. Uh, but I will harden his heart, and he shall not let the people go. And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, Let my son go, that he may serve me. Now notice this, and if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. Now understand that when God spoke to a king, very often it meant just that, that he was speaking to the king, but often the king represented the entire nation as well. He told Pharaoh, if you will not let my firstborn go, I will take your firstborn. And we're going to find at the end of this that he does take Pharaoh's firstborn, but he takes the firstborn of every person in the land of Egypt uh, that did not follow his escape route. And uh, And so this was not a surprise. This, was, this should not have been a shock to anybody because uh, Moses had told Pharaoh from the very beginning, if you don't let them go, the Lord is going to take your firstborn. Now we know, uh, of course, at the very first, Pharaoh still had a uh, identity problem with God. He didn't know who the Lord was, but he's been learning, and uh, and of course, that's going to come to a peak uh, in our lesson today as well. Now, even in the midst of this violent and bloody plague, there is a beautiful picture of grace and redemption. Uh, this chapter is long, and it bounces between narrative and doctrine, which will only allow us to hit some some highlights, and you're going to notice we're going to skip over some large portion of Scripture Uh, But the only reason we're doing that is because there's 51 verses in this chapter, and if we were to cover every single one, it would just take a long time, or we'd have to break it into several different um, lessons. We don't want to do that. But the ones that I'm uh, hitting over are ones that deal with doctrine, uh, or in other words, they dealt with the Jewish teaching or the Jewish rituals that they would have to carry on. Uh, from there out. So, God introduced what He was going to do in Egypt, and then He established a ceremony that they would practice every single year called the Passover. And, uh, and He gives some, some instructions about that. We're going to skip over that part, uh, and we're just going to deal with the narrative tonight. But I do want to encourage you to go back through and study this chapter in its entirety and, and see how that, uh, the Passover meal and the ceremony they had, uh, how it all you know, goes along with this and pictures Christ uh, in itself. Now, we're going to look at three things tonight. First of all, we're looking at the Passover in verses 1 through 30. And the first thing that we must talk about when we talk about the Passover is the Lamb. And we find Him uh, in verses 1 through 7. Now, verses 3 through 4 tell us that there must be a Lamb for each house. A Lamb for each house. Let's go ahead and look in those verses there uh, real quick. Just verses 3 and 4, it says, "...Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel." "...saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house." Okay, And if the house will be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb." Now, they were told, first of all, he says, Go out and, and you pick out a lamb. He says, A lamb for a house. Uh, And so each household would take into it a lamb for itself. Now, we have to keep in mind that many of the families back in those days were quite large. And, uh, you know, a lamb, for three people to sit down and eat an entire lamb by themselves, I mean, unless they're really, really hungry and have never been to Texas Day Brazil, I'm not sure they're going to be able to uh, accomplish that by themselves. And so the Lord says he understands that. Uh, he, he's going to have some other instructions for them a little bit later on concerning what this lamb's going to be. But he says, take every lamb for a house. He says in the, if the lamb is too big for the house, if you only have a small family, then that family is to go meet with the family next to them and they join together in what is eventually going to be this meal that, that uh, he talks about. And so he says, a house for a lamb. Uh, and I love what some of the old preachers used to bring out uh, he said, my old pastor in, uh, in Missouri, uh, he made a statement something like this. that the, uh, He said, notice the, the house was never too big for the lamb. It was always if the lamb was too big for the house. And if we keep in mind, if we'll just put a, a red line through this whole story and name that Jesus <laughs> as we go through this, if we'll just understand that it's all centers around what Jesus is going to do uh, that is a beautiful picture. I mean, uh, the, the lamb, it, it was not that, that the house was going to be too big, that there were going to be too many people for the land to cover. He was worried that there wouldn't be enough people in the house for the lamb to serve. And so it, the, the lamb is more than sufficient is the, the point that he was getting to there. But he says a lamb for each house. Now, the next thing he says in verse 5 is, is that the lamb is to be without spot. He says, Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. Now, here's something we need to keep in mind. He does, he does uh, at the very end of this verse, he gives them a chance. That this has to come from the flock, animals, uh, such as, as sheep or goats. It, when he says, Take a lamb, it's a male of the first year, but it could be either or. And uh, as I understand it, goats were a little cheaper or... You know, maybe I don't know if a family wasn't wealthy enough and may not have been able to get a sheep, but they could get a goat. I'm not really sure how all that worked, but he says you could take it from either the uh, the sheep or the goats. But I want you to notice some of the criteria here. He says your lamb shall be without blemish. What does that mean? No sores, no defect, no spots, no sickness. Okay had to be perfect. There could be no cosmetic issues with the lamb. There could be no injury issues with the lamb. There could be no illness with the lamb. I mean, it had to be completely perfect. And so they didn't go out there and say, well, I have 50 lambs. That one's the runt. (laughs) Or I don't mind if I lose this one over here. I'll take him. No, he said, you go out... You get the very best you have. And I think there was a, an extensive inspection process they had to go through as they went through, and they had to check all over uh, this this lamb all over to see if he was going to meet the criteria that Moses had laid out. So it says in verse five, verse, verse 5 that it had to be without blemish. It had to be a male of the first year. And then he says, take it out from the sheep or now, we see that the lamb was ultimately for a sacrifice in verses 6 through 7. It says, And you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the houses, whereupon they shall eat it. Now, if anybody's ever been in Sunday school or vacation Bible school, none of this stuff is new to you or mystery to you we're just going back over the information we are going to bring out some application a little bit later on all this but we're just going back over this information so I know, uh, you know, don't fall asleep on me but, uh, but this was ultimately to be for a sacrifice as we find in verses 6 and 7 I love uh, always bringing out as we go through this text the fact that they were to take the, the lamb on the 10th day but they weren't to get rid of it until the 14th day Now, I think that might have been for a couple reasons. I think, first of all, because you might miss some things in an initial inspection. Let's say you go out, and there's some kind of internal issues that are going on with the lamb that you may not find on your first brush through, if that makes sense. And so, instead of taking that lamb in and uh, and killing it immediately, they brought it into the house. They were with it. I mean, if it had an upset stomach or there was some kind of issues with it, they would have found that out within those four days. And so that, that gave them more time to inspect and to look at it and, and to look it over, make sure there was no blemish at all with this lamb whatsoever. Are you keeping Jesus in your mind as we talk about this? But also I think that this, uh, this time, and what is, what is usually brought out when we talk about these four days is the fact that in these four days, uh, the, some of the people in that house would have gotten very attached to the animal as well. Now, death back then was not as taboo as it is for us today. I mean, it's disturbing when we see death today. We don't see it going on a whole lot. A lot of you aren't going out and slaughtering animals a lot, you know, it's not your daily ritual. They it was for them. Okay? And so the, the sight of a lamb being killed would not in itself have been repulsive. And, if, and some of you are old enough to remember when you did have to go out and slaughter animals quite a bit. I mean, you just got accustomed to it. But when you take an animal in and it becomes a pet, and they'll tell you, don't ever get a, give a calf a name if you're going to slaughter it, right? Because it won't happen when it comes to that day. Because what happens is you get attached to it. It becomes a, it becomes a pet. It beca- you, you begin loving it. And uh, and that's that's when that emotional attachment takes place. That's when it gets difficult uh, to to make the slaughter. But he says you bring it in on the tenth day, and it stays with the family for four days. Now, how long does it does it take to fall in love with a puppy? It depends on who you are. Takes me a little longer. I'm still waiting on mine. But, but for some people, it only takes a few minutes, doesn't it? You know? And uh, you imagine taking this cute little lamb in for four days, and there's going to be, people, be some people get attached to it. Some are not. Some, are, some will be happy. I'm glad we're getting this lamb out of the house. Goodness gracious. Take this thing out. But then some are going to be very attached, and there's going to be, some, uh, you know, there's going to be a great loss for some in the house as well. And, uh, but this was ultimately pointing towards a sacrifice, not only an animal that they were going to kill, but as we're going to find as we continue on, it's an animal they were going to eat. It became a meal. They had to consume this animal. Every bit of it. That leads us to the meal of verses 8 through 13. Now the meal had some... some. There was a recipe for it as well. and You know, there's a menu. And, and uh, first of all, it was to be eaten with bitter herbs, as we find in verse 8. Uh, it says... In verse 8, And they shall eat the flesh in that night. Oh, hold on. I I forgot a very, very important part of this. Verse 7. Let's get back to the land. Now, they were were to bring it up for four days. Then it says, The whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. Meaning that it wasn't... This wasn't a small ordeal. This was a huge thing. There would have been a mass of people that are going out in the evening around the same time, and each one is slaughtering the lamb for their sacrifice that they're going to be bringing back into the house. It says the whole congregation of Israel is going to be going out to be there for the death of these lambs. And uh, and so that's what they would have done. It says in the evening uh, before the sun... Before before dark, I, I've heard it explained one time that it's that period of time after the sun goes down before it gets dark. Twilight, uh, and the translation of this is between the evenings, which is, uh, yes, as she said, twilight is just that period of time uh, that you still have a little bit of light before it turns night. And so... Uh, they were to, to go, all go out at that time. They were to kill uh, this lamb at that particular time. And then verse 7, it says, And they shall take the blood. And what do they do with it? They apply it to the doorpost. Right. And uh, it says that they, they're they going to strike it on the two-side post, on the upper doorpost of the house, wherein they shall eat it. And I've even heard that um, a little bit later on that that basin would be sat at the floor or the threshold of that door as well, so that the entire door was, in a sense, sealed with with blood uh, as they entered in that night. Now, in verse 8, uh, we see the meal. Uh, again, it talks about being eat with, eaten with bitter herbs. In verse uh, verse 8, it says, They shall eat uh, the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Now, I... I was trying to look for uh, an explanation on that because I've heard one. I couldn't find anything in the Bible as far as that is concerned. And so there may be some traditional issues. Well, why, why don't you think, what makes sense to you as, as why they would eat it with bitter herbs? Because of the suffering that Jesus suffering. Okay. The suffering that, that Jesus would go through. Okay. Anybody else? With a thought on that? I've also heard that, um, if you'll remember back in our text in in Exodus, uh, that Pharaoh had made their bondage bitter, that they had gone through bitter bondage. And so in the Passover, they not only uh, were remembering the, the death and suffering of the Lamb itself, but the very anguish and bitterness that they experienced in Egypt and what God brought them out of. Um, Egypt does represent sin if we're talking about theologically what it represents Egypt does represent sin Uh, uh, Israel was in bondage to sin or into Egypt just as people are in bondage to sin and so uh, it's been explained that the bitter herbs may may have reminded them of just the bitterness of the bondage that they were in before them but I think it it could very well also point towards uh, the bitter suffering that Jesus experienced Now it says also that it is to be roasted whole. As we found in verse 8, it says it is to be roast with fire and unleavened bread. It says with bitter earth they shall eat it. Verse 9, eat not of it raw nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire his head with his legs and with the pertinence thereof. All right, eat not of it raw, no rare lamb chops, nor sodden with water. What does that mean? Don't boil it. What happens when you boil a chicken? (laughs) I like boiled chicken. Thank you very much. What happens after you boil a chicken for a long time? Falls apart. And there is an issue with the bones that we're trying to keep from happening here, isn't there? see what? Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, And any animal that you boil for long enough we'll we'll do that those bones will, will start falling apart all right so uh it is it's not to be eaten raw it's not to be uh boiled with water but he says roast with fire his head with his legs and everything in between okay so the whole lamb you put him on there and i'm sure they would have field dressed it if you want to go there but uh, but they would have uh, cooked from its, with its head to its legs, everything there it was all intact. In other words, and then we find in verse ten that it was to be eaten completely, and it says, "You shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth until the morning you shall burn with fire." This was a this was an important fact. It wasn't try to eat it all. Uh, it was you're gonna you eat everything. Nothing remains until the morning, and if anything is remaining in the morning. If you have stuffed your kids and told them to have one more helping, and to the point that they were just going to, they just could not shove any more in, he said, "If there's anything left, burn it." But in the morning, I don't want to see anything left. God says, "Eat it all. Eat, eat everything on your plate. I don't want any, I don't want anything left over, man. My, I, if I had a nickel for every time my dad had to tell my brother that." And I'd be a rich man now he never had to tell me that because I ate everything, but uh man, he was just constantly had to stay on my brother but uh but God told him he said you you eat everything, not only were they to eat it, but this is my category right here. they were to eat it in haste yeah they were they were to eat it in haste, and they had to they had to be ready to go. It, uh, it's going to talk about, we'll, we'll read some of the language here he uses in verse, thir- in verse 11. It says, you shall eat it. This is how you're going to eat it. With your loins girded. What does that mean? Ready to go. Ready to go. What does it mean to, to gird your loins? Get your skirts, get your fin, when you, Yeah, you, you get skirts. Everybody wore skirts back then, <laughs> even men. Amen, Robbie? What? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everybody wore uh, togas or what, tunics or whatever those things. Not togas, but tunics. And, uh, and they would pull those things up to get ready to go. They, they didn't want that thing tripping them up as they, as they ran. He says, have your loins girded, verse 11. Uh, it says, your shoes on your feet. Don't kick your shoes off. Your staff in your hands. He says, you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Why? Because you're fixing to go. All right. As soon as I get done with them out there... You're leaving, so you need to be ready to go. Don't, uh, I don't want to have to, to tell anybody else to get their shoes on when it's time to leave the house, okay? <laughs> he says, have them ready. We're going. And uh, he says in verse 12, For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and I will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. Uh, as we've talked about before, he says, I am the Lord. Now, this leads us to a memorial that he talks about in verses 21 through 28. We are going to go ahead and cover those verses real quick, and then uh, in a little bit we're going to be skipping some. Hold on just a second, actually, because I thought I would left it out. All right. No, we're going to go ahead and read this. It says in verse 21, It says that Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said unto them, Are you with me in verse 21? Draw out and take you a lamb according to your families and kill the Passover. It says, And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, strike a lintel, the two side posts, with the blood that is in the basin, and none of you shall go out to the door of his house until morning. Now, you're going to seal the door in blood and you're going to go in. You're going to lock the door. You're going to eat this meal, but do not come out until morning. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians, and when he seeth the blood upon the lintel and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over your door, and will not suffer the destroyer to come into your house to smite you. And you shall observe this thing for an ordinance, ordinance to thee and thy sons forever. And it shall come to pass when you be coming to the land which the Lord will give you according to he hath promised, or as he has promised. You shall keep this service, and it shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, What mean you by this service that you shall say it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt and he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses and the people bowed the head and worshipped and the children of Israel went away and did as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. So did they. So really what we've been reading up to this point is just God's instructions. He says, Moses, this is what's going to happen. This is what you're going to do. And what we've just read is where Moses tells all the people he gives them the instructions, tells them to go back and it says and they all went back and, and did what he said. It leads us to the Passover event in verses 29 through 30. In verse 29 we see the plague, the actual plague itself it says in 29 and it came to pass that at midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. Notice this from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne and to the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon and all the firstborn, of cattle or we could we could say livestock it says uh, uh, we have the panic in verse 30 and Pharaoh rose up in the night he and all his servants and the Egyptians notice this and there was a great cry in Egypt for there was not a house where there was not one dead can you imagine the panic going on that next morning now, they had had almost everything stripped away from them because of all these plagues, uh, you imagine we were talking about that city in Arkansas with this one tornado that had come through, and just all the destruction and the loss that they experienced to that. Just imagine just being hit with something of that force over and over and over and over again, and and I'm sure some loss of life had uh, had even come through some of this time, but but then this last plague came through, and the firstborn understand that all children are important and all children are special and you know there's there should never be any favoritism over one or the other but the firstborn to them because of the inheritance thing the firstborn was the one that carried the name it was the strength of their family and God had gone through and he killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt yes I don't know about that. Now, it says all the firstborn. Um, so I don't know if that means that, like, mm-hmm. if there's three generations of firstborn. That would be my grandpa, my dad, and me. I don't know if we all would have died. Or if it was, well, I don't know. Of your family. Yeah. You're the firstborn. Mm-hmm. So you would have died. My dad is also the firstborn, and my grandfather is the firstborn. Yeah, but if they weren't around. Right. Yeah, I don't know. So would Pharaoh have the firstborn that have that meaning? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that is true. Mm-hmm. I, think I think it's probably referring to the firstborn of each particular family. Uh, yeah, of each household. Mm-hmm. That does seem like it, it, it's the the issue. Um, I just, I don't know a definite answer on that. But, but yeah, that does make sense. If Pharaoh... If he's Pharaoh, he was probably the firstborn, and, uh, but he was alive, but yet his son was taken. So, yeah, I don't know. But if his parents were already dead, still yeah. the then... Like, hey. Yeah, but God couldn't have taken him away from his parents by taking him. Oh, I'm, I see what you're saying. They, he wouldn't have been taken from anyone right. if his parents were dead. Yeah, yeah I don't know. It's a good thought, I mean... Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's interesting. Um, I, I just don't know the answer to that. Do what? That's your homework. That's, uh, well, that's your homework. <laughs> Write an essay. Bring it back next week. All right. Any other comments or questions, though, on this? Because we're going to move on to a different subject, is what I'm getting at. Uh, we're moving from the Passover to the next thing. It was not a tasty meal. I'm it was not. Right, yeah. Horseradish uh, is very bitter if you've never had it. Anybody else? Okay. Well, let's move on to the plunder in verses 31 through 36. Now, we got past all the sad stuff. Now, we get to talk about some happy stuff for a little while. Plunder uh, is, uh, we find that in verses 31 through 36. And uh, we see, first of all, the Pharaoh's orders. Now, after all this happens, you know, Pharaoh is, is, of course, very upset. Uh, you know, he, he's, very, he's ready for them to go. And so we see his orders in verses 31 through 32. It says, And he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise up and get you forth from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go and serve the Lord as you have said. Now notice, there had been a debate over who they would take. But he says this time, he says, Take your flocks, your herds, as you have said, and be gone. And bless me also. Get them all out of here. I want every one of you gone. And so finally, he's complying. But we know that he's going to rebel one more time. But uh, but for right now, he is complying. And so he he says to go ahead and to let them go. Now we see the Egyptians' urgency in verse thirty-three. It says, And the Egyptians were urgent upon the people that they might send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We be all dead men. Not only did he say, Get up and go, but all the Egyptians helped them pack. (laughs) And, uh, I mean, slapped their horses on the rear and got them out of there. You know, get out. You know, we'll we'll help you out. We'll open the gates for you. And they said, They wanted them out of the land. We see the riches of Egypt, verses 34 through 36. It says, It says, and the people took their dough before it was leavened, and their kneading troughs being bound up in their clothes upon their shoulders. In other words, they took their clothes and made bags out of them. They wrapped them up and took their stuff and threw them. You know, and, and they had it out. Now it said they didn't make bread. They had to cook bread every day, but uh, they weren't able to make bread that morning because they had to go in haste. Remember, they were, they were gone. So they took the leaven or the unleavened bread, the, the, all of the other stuff for them ready to make. We're going to see what they do that with that here in just a little bit. But anyway, in verse 35 it says, "...and the children of Israel did according to the word of Moses, and they borrowed of the Egyptians jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they lent unto them such things as they required, and they, notice this, spoiled the Egyptians." Now, when does spoiling usually come? After a war. After a war. Had the had the Israelites fought a war with the Egyptians? No, but God had, hadn't he? Do what? Right, yeah, exactly. God fought the war. Whether they lifted a sword or not, that city was in ruins, and they got to take the treasures. And you just imagine the kind of treasures that Egypt would have had. We wonder if they got as they got out into the wilderness, you know, he starts talking about bringing all the gold and all this stuff. You might wonder, where in the world did they get all that gold? Right here. <laughs> I mean, Egypt was full of it. And so they took their gold, they took their silver, they took their clothes, uh, the raiment, and, and they headed on out. We see their passage in verses 37 through 42. The journey in verses 37 through 49, it says, in the children of Israel journey from Ramses to Sukkot, about 600,000 on foot that were that were men beside children. Uh, this 600,000 kind of gives us our figure on the two million, uh, you know, there's estimate, almost everybody estimates about two million, but it's based off of this number, uh, 600,000 men, and you have to include women and children into the mix, and so Uh, I think think it's actually a conservative estimate of 2 million. There could have been more than that, but at least 2 million. And uh, it says those are the ones that all went out on foot. Uh, We see the calculations of verses 40 through 42. Did I finish reading all those verses, by the way? No. Verse 38, and a mixed multitude went up also with them. Notice that, mixed multitude. What does that mean? some others from other nationalities, right? I mean, there may have been some other people that were slaves in Egypt as well, but we also know that some Egyptians wound up going out with them too. And it says, This mixed multitude went up also with them, and flocks and herds, even very much cattle. Verse 39, it says, And they baked unleavened cakes, here we go, with dough, which they brought forth out of Egypt, for it was not leaven, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not tarry, Neither had they prepared for themselves any victuals. They hadn't had breakfast yet, okay, and uh, and so they didn't have time to do all that then. So remember, they had taken all their dough, threw it in, you know, threw everything in their clothes, and took it on out there. And so it says when they got off to this uh, suck-off, uh, that's where they, I guess, they stopped somewhere around there and had their breakfast, and then they would have moved on. Uh, we see the calculations, verse forty through forty-two. It says, Now the sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years. Verse 41 is a very important verse. It says, And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, notice this, Even the selfsame day it came to pass that all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. If you were to start on the day of the Exodus, count back 430 years to the day, you would have a scene kind of like this. Egypt's leaving on this day just as 430 years to the day Jacob and his family had ridden in. To the same day, they're moving on out of the land. Verse, uh, let's see, 42 says, "...it is a night to be much observed unto the Lord for bringing them out from the land of Egypt." This is the night of the Lord to be observed of all the children of Israel in their generations. Now, uh, we are going to skip a large portion here, and we're going to go on down to verse 51, and you'll see the Exodus there. It says, And it came to pass the selfsame day that the Lord did bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their armies. And so that, that is, in essence, the Exodus of uh, Israel from Egypt. Now, in the next next couple chapters, we're going to see the pursuit that takes place uh, and then, of course, all the wonderful things that God is going to continue doing until they get not only out of the cities but out of the land of Egypt. Now, keep in mind that they are they, they're not only leaving the cities such as Ramses and some of these other cities, but they've got to be brought out of Egypt altogether. They're, they're leaving the territory of Egypt as well. And so God's going to uh, bring them, move them completely out of uh, the whole region of Egypt. All right, any thoughts or questions on... Oh, we ain't through. You thought we were, but we weren't. Now, what a beautiful picture of our own Passover. Matter of fact, I think Peter was the one who talks about Christ being our Passover. We too were once in bondage of sin, crying out for help, searching for freedom. We were facing judgment, doom, and death, just as the children of Israel. But God heard our cries, He saw our plight, He sent a deliverer. Jesus came to His own. He remained with the people for a time, but then, he, then the time came for Him to be offered. John pointed to Him as the Lamb of God. And as a lamb, he silently took the cross. We know that he was beaten, he was bloody, he was bruised for our sins, but not a bone was broken. They hung him on a cross, and he died in the evening as all the congregation of Israel gathered around. Like the fathers in Exodus, we are responsible for what is done with his blood. Now on the day of the Passover, the father killed the lamb. The blood was shed. The, the lamb's job at that time was done. It was up to the father on whether he was going to obey the rest of that command, which was not to let, let the blood lay there, but was to take the blood, apply it to the doorpost, because within that was salvation from God's wrath. Like the fathers in Exodus, we are responsible for what is done with his blood. We can either choose to l- let it just remain shed, or we could take the blood that is available and apply it to our hearts by faith. The lamb has been slain. His blood has been shed. And we must choose whether to apply it to our hearts and be delivered or to refuse, rebel, and face death. For all those who will trust and obey the same promises made as what he made to them, he says, "When I see the blood, I will pass over you." Beautiful, beautiful picture in Exodus twelve of Christ, and oh man, there's so much more. I mean, this is just we' were only able to scrape the surface, but I, I encourage you to go back and look through some of that stuff and and uh, see what more you can find. Don't make stuff up, but but there's there's some good stuff there. All right, anybody else with any word on our lesson for tonight? Nobody?